Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm going to be your host, Jordana Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Psachim, daf Tzadi Tet, page 99. So we are going to finish up the ninth parak, and we're going to get started with the last parak of Psachim. Uh, very hard to believe. And I guess now we will go ahead and make the announcement uh, that our CM will God will be on March 22nd, times uh, to be announced, but probably our usual 10 a.m. in America and uh, 5 p.m. in Israel. So we'll be sending out more information. And if you are somebody who would like to give it to our Torah, uh, share some of your learning and thoughts for Pesachim, we are looking for you. So look out for that registration form, um, because really for me personally, and and you can chime in here, the CMs are what keeps me going for doing this podcast. I love that we get to hear from you after all this time of you hearing from us. Yeah, and the Torah is just amazing. Um, I'm just going to start up to finish up this parak with the top line here, um, which says the following, Mikan amru chachamim, right? Yafesh dikal l'chachamim, kal v'chomer l'tipshim, shene'emar, avil mecharish chacham yechashev. So the Gemara, remember, was talking about the situation where there were a group, you know, lost their Korban Pesach, and there was a confusion over who was going to get the replacement Korban Pesach. And, you know, they sent one person to get it, and but the rest of the group continued to get nervous, so they went ahead and they got it. And the conclusion of that very long Mishnah was that if nobody said anything, right, and both of them basically uh, ended up getting, you know, you know, this one singular person got a replacement Korban Pesach, and the rest of the group got a replacement Korban Pesach, right, then it's, you know, it's a much better solution because basically that the individual just uses his Pesach and the rest of the group uh, just uses theirs. Um, and it's sort of a nice, neat solution and no animals, uh, you know, nobody doesn't not eat the Korban Pesach, etc. And so here the Gemara makes an interesting comment where it basically says this is why the Chachamim say, right, it's silence is better for the wise and even more so for you know, for the fools. And then they quote a pasuk here um, that's in Mishle, Perak Yudzayin, uh, Pasuk Chavchet, um, right? Chapter 17, verse 28, where it says a fool when he is silent is considered wise. So I, I, I'm such like a planner and this would be like, I could see myself in this situation. <laughs> Remember, this was obviously pre-cell phone too. This would get me nervous. Like if I had sent somebody and I didn't hear from them and I was still part of the group, I would be that person who would like go ahead and get something, you know, get the other animal. And I just, it was interesting to me. I don't think this, like for this particular situation with the, a lot of people would have to sort of fight their inner nature to just not say anything and sort of assume that magically another replacement animal would show up without everybody coordinating with each other. So I, I thought this little line here and particularly so obviously, if you just read this line by itself, and I'm sure this is one of those lines from the Gemara that often gets taken out of context, right? You know, it's, it's better to be silent. So we all understand that. But when you look at the context of it, right, it's, I, I mean, it's basically like the Gemara is saying, like all of that inclination you would have to plan, to delegate, to make sure that something goes smoothly, it was better you didn't do it. Um, and I just found that to be fascinating. So, you know, the the concept here is interesting and also I think this is a great example of like a line that you could absolutely see people loving to quote. But if you really look at the context within which it appears, it actually takes on a very different meaning for me. So I think I think you've just done everybody a favor, certainly me. I know this line and I kind of 
believe in it, you know, in terms of if you don't have anything to say, don't say it. Uh, what's the line of, you know, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, these lines are are punchy. And I think there's a lot of truth to them in terms of just how we should ideally conduct ourselves. And I'm fine with it out of context. So to the extent that I think I probably miss the fact that this is such a hard thing, right? The way you've cast it, and of course that's the contextual meaning, is that it's actually a really hard thing to uh, to refrain from from checking it out, to refrain from carrying forth, um, which I think is, you know, I think that I will bring this to today, not actually Corona, but, you know, social media and the fact that everybody's got a microphone, look at us now on Anchor, right? Meaning everybody's got a microphone the moment you want one. I think that there is a lot to be said to, on the one hand, recognize that maybe we all do well to refrain from some of the speech or writing that we engage in. And alternatively, uh, recognizing that is also sometimes really a big challenge to hold back. Yeah, I totally agree. So I guess with that, we'll end with that. And, you know, Hadron Alay, uh, Perik uh, Tishi. Um, and so with that, let's go ahead and start the 10th and final Perik, which I think for a lot of people, with all this discussion of Corbanos and blood and the mixing up, this is going to be the fun Perik. And it's so, again, you know, the nascent star that you all hear me talk about. I love that we're going to finish this the week of Pesach. So that's that's great to me. So everyone should be taking good notes and hopefully we're going to get some good Torah to share at our Seder. I love that we're going to finish this week of Pesach. I'm not loving that we're thinking about actual Pesach in our human experience until after Purim. I have a couple of more days here. Obviously, we're going to do the learning, but we're not going to do the planning. I'm not going to do the planning just yet. Here's the Mishnah. Which, and by I, the way, is... I don't know that you meant, but that actually is a great segue into what the topic of the Mishnah is. Yes. <laughs> So the Mishnah here says as follows. On Erev Pesach, when it's getting close to be Mincha time, you still don't eat until after it's really dark, meaning you're not going to eat, you're not going to nosh, right? You're not going to sit down to eat, you're not going to eat. And you want to be able to get to the matzah that night with an appetite. And this is something I think that people learn from school. You know, you don't eat too much on the day of Erev Pesach because you're going to end up, you're supposed to have an appetite for the matzah. And of course, some people love matzah, some people not so much. So that appetite line is um, either either you already have the appetite because you've been missing matzah since last year, or you never have it, which is always a puzzle, I find. So then what about if you're poor, right? And the point of being the the category of poverty in the in the context of the Pesach is important because Leil HaSeder is the night when Jews are supposed to recline like kings, right? So can you do that even if you're poor? And the answer is absolutely. You're not supposed to eat. The poorest of Jews should not eat on, on Pesach night until they are leaning, until they are reclining. Lo yochal until he reclines. And even the people who it says, so the people who are giving charity to this poor person, right? They don't give a poor person less than the amount of four cups of wine. Um, so these should have the four cups of wine for the night, for the Seder night. And that would even be for the people who are so poor that what they're doing is that they're getting food from the Tamchoy. The Tamchoy is basically, uh, I guess it's a soup kitchen. 
right? Or the, the equivalent, you know, back in the day, right? There's a Gemara in the Yerushalmi that says that this was not the best way to, this was not the most pleasant way to get your tzedakah, right? Because you have to, you have to kind of show up and, and be very present there, right? And so then, um, you know, to get your food from the tamhoi, from this charity plate, um, it's still unpleasant. But the point is that you're still going to get your four cups of wine, meaning no matter how poor you are, on Leil HaSeder, everybody is, quote, rich enough to have the, the beverage of kings. So what I like about the end of this Mishnah, Anne, is, you know, we kept talking about this emphasis on the Korban Pesach and the social cohesion of the Korban Pesach. And I think this Mishnah, and it's a great transition to what the what this uh, parak is really going to be talking about, because it's much more of the Seder-focused items, is sort of maintaining that same social cohesion, right? Because by ending by saying, even the poor person, right, they have to be supplied to celebrate Pesach in the way that everybody else is, it's maintaining that same social cohesion. Every single Jew is entitled to have a Seder that is respectable and that can be fulfilled with everything that it needs. And the Mishnah is also recognizing there's an expense to this holiday, right? Like having four cups of wine, whatever it is that you need, it may not be so easy to people, but it's society's, it's the community's obligation to provide for everybody. And I think this is an extension of the Chabura experience of eating the Korban Pesach. That's nice. I think that's a, a fair, an important point, right? It's not just the sim- symbolism of, you know, being free men, all of us on the same plane. Right. And I think people, we see that also the in plane. the Seder itself, right? When we greet poor people to come, you know, anybody who needs a meal, you can come and be with us. And I think putting it in that context of how Pesach was re- originally celebrated right, with, you know, these large groups of people eating the Korban Pesach together, you know, all of this makes a lot of sense. So the Gemara here picks up not on this last point about the poverty and the wines and then this equalizer here. It goes back to the beginning and it asks what I think is a really important question, which is easy to miss, I think, also because we jump into the discussion of the wine. My area arve psachim, right, the Gemara, the Mishnah rather, begins, this parak begins with the question of on Erev Pesach, you are not supposed to eat when it's getting close to dark. You should wait until it's actually Kiddush time. And the question is like, hello, what about all the other holidays? What about all Shabbos? Don't you always wait until Kiddush time? Shouldn't it always be that way? I feel Arve Shabbatot v'yamim tovim nami. The Tanya, so then the Gemara answers, We do have the statement that a person shouldn't eat from Mincha and onwards. You should also come to your Shabbos table with, a, with an appetite for the food. That is the position of Rabbi Yehuda. So, which tells us straight away, by the way, that this Mishnah is not in accord with Rabbi Yehuda, at least not at the first glance, because Rabbi Yehuda is making the statement not about Pesach, but about everything. Then you don't need a specific statement made about Pesach. Rabbi Yosiomer, Ochel Vholech Ashitech And there we go. We've got a difference of opinion from Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yossi says you can eat until it actually gets dark, meaning in general, not for Pesach, but for all the other times. So, Rav Huna carries this on, right? You know, he's going to explain. I'm Rav Huna. The reason you need this Mishnah is to answer Rabbi Yossi, who says that you can eat until it gets dark, because Rabbi Yossi needs to know that specifically for Pesach, that doesn't fly. The Amar, 
Mishum chiyuva de matzah moda. Even Rabbi Yossi would agree that because of the obligation to eat matzah, once it's already dark, don't keep eating. You want to come to that matzah with an appetite in ways that perhaps Rabbi Yossi wasn't concerned about whether people would come to a regular Shabbat meal with an appetite. But of course, the Gemara wants to make sure that all of the opinions can line up. So Rav Papa is going to try to put it in accord with Rabbi Yehuda. Afilu tema Rabbi Yehuda, hatam ba'arvei Shabbatov yamim tovim, mina mincha v'lamala, ulamala, mincha mincha ulamala, huda asir, samuch lamincha shari. So Rav Papa, you want to talk about fine hair reading, the difference between minha mincha v'lamala, meaning from the time of mincha onward, as compared to samuch lamincha, some mucha mincha, I don't know, would be adjacent to mincha. It would be permitted as a compared to from mincha and onward. I guess some mucha mincha is a little bit earlier than mincha. Afilu be'erv Pesach, afilu some mincha nami asur. But then, then you have reason then to say that the Mishnah needs to be explicit that even for Yehuda who says that from mincha and onward, you have to refrain from eating to make sure that you have an appetite when you come to your Shabbat table. But he's not saying before mincha, so this Mishnah then would apply also for him that you, that we are going to be a little more cautious about not eating too much on Erev Pesach uh, to make sure that everybody has an appetite for the matzah at the Seder. Well, we're going to continue this. This goes on to the next staff. Um, but look, it's a, it's an odd Mishnah that it's just about Erev Pesach. And the Gemara really gets to the correct question, which is, shouldn't this just be a Mishnah about every Erev? And it's great the way that they trace it back to see, you know, which Tana would this fit more like? Um, so with that, we'll conclude. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this top on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.